I'm Michelle Sims, and this is the Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to Episode 9 of The Beauty and the Mess, called Removing the Veil with Stacey Henderson, and I'm Michelle, your host. You know, God has a way of writing stories that brings hope, encouragement, transformation, and unites us all together. He takes the most difficult circumstances, and he turns those challenges into gifts. My special guest today is Stacy, and her story is one of abandonment, abuse, and deep loss. And in her view, what a child almost always understands about God comes from their earthly father. Stacy was abandoned by her mom at the age of eight, and if that wasn't enough, she never had the blessing of knowing who her earthly father was until she was almost 40 years old. A little girl should not have to endure that kind of pain. This pain led to a lifetime of loneliness, shame, and never feeling good enough to be loved, and not trusting that her heavenly father would really take care of her or if he even existed at all. What the enemy had tried to destroy, God would restore, and then some. His plan is so much larger than we can even dream or imagine for all of us. God began to weave an amazing story of love, healing, and restoration that would not only change Stacy's life, but hundreds of others through the telling of her story. Stacy's transparency, honesty, vulnerability, and how she began to trust God will both move and transform you forever. Stacy's worked in the healthcare field for the past 20 years. She has three children, two stepchildren, and makes her home in Anderson, Indiana with her husband, Brent. Stacy's husband is a professional nationwide speaker, and recently she has joined forces with him in their Coming Together conferences. Together, they bring men and women into a deeper understanding of who they truly are in Christ and how to live a life of purpose, courage, and confidence. In my conversation with Stacy today, we will be discussing her own personal journey of abuse and neglect, and we'll also be talking about her healing and her newfound purpose in life and how she is using her story to help others on similar journeys. And at this point, I would also like to issue a trigger warning for today's episode, as we will briefly touch on suicide and suicidal thoughts during the discussion. If this may trigger extreme emotional distress for you, you should skip today's episode. And with that being said, if you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Additionally, there is a new three-digit National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that went into effect on July 16th of this year. Hoosiers can dial 988 to connect to someone right away. And without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Stacy. Welcome to the Beauty and the Mess. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. And we're honored to have you today. I know a little bit about your story and I know it involves deep loss, abandonment and abuse. And if we fast forward to today, you're now participating in conferences and speaking out to help others on similar journeys. So I was just wondering if you'd like to share your story with us today. Sure. So I was born May 7th and my mom wasn't married, nor did she have a relationship with my father when I was born. So she was a single mom. The last good memory I had with my mom was when I was probably about five years old. I was sick with a really high fever and I can remember her 
cuddling me and comforting me. And she asked me if I wanted a cup of ice cubes or a popsicle to help with my fever. And that was probably the last good memory. And then from there on out, things just started getting bad. We started moving a lot. And I remember going to one school for literally two weeks because we got kicked out of our apartment. And so that made us change the school system. I think I went to about eight different schools in a very, very short time period. So my mom started disappearing a lot. But in the in the beginning of her disappearing, she had a babysitter and she would take us to this babysitter's house. And we were there overnight and the babysitter had a live-in male roommate. And that was when I first experienced sexual abuse. And I was probably about six years old then. That's awful. Yes. And so it happened a handful of times and I was very, very scared to go there. And I was kicking and screaming. Literally, I did not want to go. And I finally told my mom what was going on and I had to go to the police station. And um, I was in the detective's office for several hours and I had to show him on a baby doll what was going on. And He ended up going to jail. Did he abuse your sisters as well? Or was it just you? Just me. Wow. If he ever did my sisters, they've never said anything to me at least. So I, I don't know. But as far as I know, it was just me. So after that, we obviously didn't go there anymore. So we didn't have a babysitter. And my mom would just disappear for a couple nights at a time. And left my sisters and I to care for ourselves. And we didn't have anything to eat. The most we usually ever had in the refrigerator was a bottle of vodka. Wow. Lived in complete filth, dog feces grounded into the carpet and cockroaches and just disgusting filth. And um, some of the nights that she would come home, she would bring a different man. And it was just like a revolving door of men that as a child, when you witnessed that, At first, you think your mom's getting hurt, but then you realize what those noises were as you grew older and understood what was happening. And so in that whole neglect and abandonment and just my mom falling off the rails of understanding what being a mother was, she got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And there were times that she would even take us with her to the bars. I don't know how she got us in, but we... We would sit there on the floor. Oh my gosh. I watched my mom get held up by gunpoint in a drunken situation. I've seen her fall into a bonfire when she was drunk. And the only thing that saved her was a leather jacket she was wearing. So it was just, it was just a constant, constant season of neglect and abuse and abandonment and just really making you feel like you don't belong, like unloved and unwanted. And so anyway, when I was about eight years old, my grandmother's mother passed away. And so my uncle came to the house and, and I still to this day don't know how my grandparents didn't know the kind of filth and neglect we were, you know, experiencing it until my uncle came to the house to get us. And he saw firsthand what we were living in. So he told my mom, which was his sister, I'm going to take these girls back to Virginia with me because he was in the Navy and stationed in Norfolk. You have two weeks to get your act together. 
And so in that two week time span, she had sold all of our belongings and left. She left a note with my grandparents and said, when these girls come back, you are going, you're going to have to take them or they need to go to the orphanage. Where did she go? I don't know. She just disappeared. So my grandparents did end up going to court and got guardianship for a year, hoping that would give her some time to get help and, you know, get her life in order. But she never was a mom again after that. She just did her own thing. And so growing up in my grandparents' house, that was when I was really first introduced to God or your typical go to church every Sunday, Sunday night, youth group, choir practice kind of family. We prayed around the table, but it was like behind the closed doors. It was, it was rough, you know, as right as my grandmother was in what she said, hearing what she would say as a little girl already feeling so displaced and unwanted and unloved and invisible and rejected and everything else, you name it. It was tough to hear, but she would always say things like, you aren't my responsibility. I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this kind of thing? That was hard to hear. And so beat it up all the way until I was 18. I was getting ready to graduate high school. And, you know, I was so numb to life. I didn't want to feel anything anymore. I had always wondered who my dad was and didn't understand why he didn't want me, which I will get to the dad story here in a minute. I was angry that my mom didn't want me. I was I just, I just felt unwanted and unloved and I was tired of feeling that way. So I ended up going to the medicine cabinet. It was five days before I graduated. And I just started looking for pill bottles that had zero refill because in the back of my mind, I thought maybe this is strong enough and I won't survive. Oh wow! In that moment, I wanted to die. I ended up going to the hospital later that day. And I had my stomach pumped, of course, and ended up spending the night in ICU. And I had a friend whose mom came and visited me and she was of a certain type of religion. I, I won't name it, but it was, it was pretty strict religion. And she leaned down at me and whispered in my ear that if I succeed, I'm going to go to hell. And so I'm laying there so lifeless and you know, scared out of my mind, you know, in that moment, did I want to die when I was doing that? Yes. But I think, you know, the more I was in therapy and talked about everything, I realized that it was really a cry out for help. And I think that's probably a lot of suicide situations is people don't really want to die. They just need help. They don't see a way out at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up obviously surviving. I went to an inpatient facility when I was discharged and I had to stay there for 48 hours and was in an intensive therapy for those 48 hours. And I was ended up, you know, discharged. And so I graduated and a couple of weeks after graduation, I thought then I wanted to be a police officer. We had a family friend that was an officer and he invited me along to go patrolling with him so I could see what it was like. And he ended up, he ended up taking me. We went around town and so forth. And um, after a shift, he asked me if I wanted to go work out. And I was like, okay. So we went to this facility called the Pal Club here, local. It's where a bunch of police officers would go and work out. And when we got there, the place was empty. It was just he and I. And 
I didn't know it, but he locked the door behind me and we were just kind of standing around. He's, you know, was showing me stuff. And I, you know, I thought I was safe and okay. He was a family friend. He was an officer of the law, but then he started assaulting me. And so I ended up being able to get out of there. And so I went to the first place I went to was the lady I babysat for. And I told her what was going on. And so she took me to the police station where I reported it. And I spent about six hours there. And basically it was, he's an officer of the law. I'm 18. I'm a young girl. And it was my word against his. And so nothing happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so um, when I started college, I worked at a theater and I saw him come in one time. I hid beneath the desk, but he had another young blonde with him. And I thought there's another victim. And he just, he got away with it because he was a cop. Horrible. So that was my life in a nutshell as a young person. So let's get to my dad. So as obviously stated, I didn't know my dad growing up and I would always ask my mom who my dad was and she gave me a name and I always wanted to know why he didn't want me. And she just said that he didn't. So leave it alone. So I searched the best way I knew how to search way back before there was so much internet stuff and I could never find him. And then when I was 10 years old, I work at a local hospital and this man with the same name handed me his doctor's order. And as I looked down and I saw this name, I panicked, I froze. I got up and I walked away and I was crying and my boss ran into me and she had asked me what was going on. And I just gave her a real quick summary of why I was so upset. And she said, Stacy, this is your chance. You need to go back and confront him. And so I had ran into him in the hallway and I just said, can I ask you a question? And he said, of course. And I said, do you know? And I said, my mom's name. And he said, I sure do. And then I said the words I thought I would never say, I think I'm your daughter. And so in that moment, he pulled me in like he was being given a newborn baby. We both stood in that hallway and cried. Other patients were walking by and crying. It was like, it, it was literally a scene out of a Lifetime movie. It was, it was, it was beautiful and emotional and scary at the same time. And so we stood there and talked and we exchanged phone numbers and we talked for about two weeks before I finally got the courage to ask him why he didn't want me. And he said that that really wasn't the case at all. He said, when your mom came to me and said she was pregnant, I asked her, how could you be sure it's mine? Because my mom obviously had a reputation for sleeping around. And that was the last she heard of him or he heard of her rather. And she never went to him for child support, paternity, nothing like that. So he just truly thought that I wasn't his. And that was, that was that. And so I had to believe him. I mean, I didn't have anything else to go on over there than my mom's story. And so he offered to have DNA testing done. So we had it done one afternoon. And about six weeks later, I got the envelope that stated there was zero chance that I could have been his daughter. And so my world just came crumbling apart all over again. You know, you just have these very deep seated wounds of rejection and just feeling like you don't belong on this planet. And that just brought it up all over again. And any kind of relationship I had with God, certainly I ran from it. 
I, I was so angry. So when I confronted my mom about this, she said, I just, I thought for sure, no apology, no further explanation, nothing. Just, I thought for sure it was just like a casual conversation. Just Do you think looking back that she really didn't know and it was embarrassing? So she just stuck to that story? Yeah, because she finally admitted she was drunk at a party. Okay. But that was years later after my attempt to find my dad for the third time. And I finally did. So when I found Roger and found out that he wasn't my father and found out that my mom wasn't honest, I would have rather her early on tell me that she she didn't know than reaffirming every time I would talk about my dad, that it, it was this man. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. But anyway, so this name I held in my own metaphorical little treasure box. And after I found out he wasn't my dad, I had nothing. It was like, I just can't even describe the feeling. It was, I just felt so lost. And so anyway, speed it up to after I had children and I had my middle daughter, the eye doctor, and somehow she, The doctor told me that she has a spot on the back of her eye that is genetically linked to colon cancer, and it's it's through the mother's father. So that began my quest again because it was no longer about me. It was about my little girl, and I thought that might make a difference with my mom. Maybe that would jar her memory or entice her to want to give me more details of my conception story or at least answer some questions and it didn't happen. So a friend of mine had suggested I should take it to Facebook. And so I made a sign. I'm sure you've seen those signs before looking for biological parent, gave my mom's name, what year she graduated high school, and if there was any kind of information to inbox me. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I received about 300 messages. My, that post went viral and people were messaging me right and left on you know, I knew her, I, you know, I knew what kind of girl she was back then. And, and that just made me feel so dirty. So unwanted again, it just was just this constant domino cycle of planting that seed deeper, affirming that seed that I was not wanted. So, you know, I I had nothing to go on. There was no way I was going to find my father in this mess. There was just no way. I just kind of gave up on it for a while. And then my husband, just three years ago, had got me the ancestry DNA test and I found him, found my actual birth father, but he has actually been gone for 10 years. So I never got to meet him, but at least now I have that missing link. I know his name, I know where he comes from. I've since met two sisters that I have through him and to hear them tell me he 100% didn't know about me. So when I finally told my mom that I had found him and asked her if she knew this man, and she, of course, didn't recollect the name. And she was like, Stacy, you really need to give this a rest. I don't know who he is. And that was just kind of it, I guess. We just kind of put that to rest. We never really talked or communicated anymore. And I, I can say that I forgive my mom. I actually wrote her a letter about four years ago expressing forgiveness. And her response to me then was, that's okay, I'll be dead someday anyway. You don't have to worry about it. And so her response made me mad and made me put a wall up. And that let me know that maybe I wasn't 
honestly forgiving her if I was so quick to anger. So about three weeks ago now, I finally was able to forgive her in a clean way. And I sent her another message and I explained to her that even though I can forgive her, I still have to keep these boundaries up to protect myself because I'm still in this healing journey. And I always say that when you have relational hurts like that, it's kind of like a bank account or accruing debt. When you take massive withdrawals of trust, it takes massive deposits of trust to get that bank account back where you started or massive amounts of payment to get yourself out of debt. And I've not experienced that with my mom yet. So I, I just, I love her from a distance. Right. I do love her, but I can't be in relationship with her. And just, and just over the weekend, I found out that she was two weeks sober. And so I reached out to her and I told her that um, I was proud of her. And I will pray for her journey as she goes through this. And, but I asked her, I said, what, what made you desire this for yourself? And she told me she fell and got hurt and she was done. And so I was disappointed. I was sad in that answer because, because that was the massive deposit that I was looking for. I was looking for her to say, I realize what alcohol did to my children. I realize the hurts it caused and I want to change that why I'm still living. And maybe, you know, that was my expectation and my desire, my prayer. But the more I thought about it over the weekend and the more I prayed about it, at least she's taken that baby step. Right. And it could be a pride issue at this time. Yeah. And as she goes further in her journey, which, you know, hopefully God willing, she does. Yeah. Maybe she'll come to that conclusion. Right. So I just, you know, I realized that I was making it more about me than her. And I just, I just need to support her. And I understand the boundaries, but the forgiveness is for you. It's not exactly, it doesn't matter if she accepts it or not. It's, it's about you being able to let go so you can move on. Right. 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 Yeah. And I know it's hard. I mean, I can only assume in your situation, it's extremely difficult. It is very hard because your your flesh, I mean, your flesh, you, you want, you want to be angry. You, you want them to hurt, but you know, and you're, that is not grace. Right. That is not what God teaches us. And so and I had, you know, I had to come a long way to understand that. <laughs> I'm still understanding that actually, but it, I, I, I'm a lot better off than I was. So, so far, she's still never acknowledged what she put you and your sisters through or said she was sorry. I mean, she has said sorry, but it was kind of like, I'm sorry. I was just a bad, I was a bad mom or, you know, it's just those kind of passive apologies. Not really, not really sincere, not really walking into our hurts and asking us questions and listening to understand before she would respond like like she was the victim but hopefully now that she is trying to become sober hopefully we can we can all do some healing together that would be wonderful yeah yeah you know my sisters have their own hurts their own lenses their own stories this is mine and my personal journey right so where they're at and their relationship with my mom I can't really answer to that. I don't, cause I don't really know. So I just can only answer to where I'm at with my relationship with her. Right. 
One thing I can say is that from what I've read is that, you know, the use of alcohol, when you're an alcoholic, you're trying to numb something, you're trying to numb pain. Right. And I don't, yeah, I don't know if it came from her childhood or what, what she's trying to numb, but there's something way deeper for her. Right. And that was part of why I was able to forgive her is because, you know, my husband is an ordained pastor and he speaks all over the country, you know, at different conferences and churches and so forth. And one of the things he taught me is that one, everybody has a story and given their story and given what lies they are buying into, they're acting in the way they should be acting. You know, it was hard to wrap my mind around that. So wherever my mom was at in her life, when she walked away, she was buying into her own lies that the enemy was feeding her. And if God can offer his grace so freely, no matter what I've done, then I can do the same for my mom. So if we want to wind this back to my relationship with God, I think for a lot of my life, once I really knew who God was, He would receive fragments of me. I was baptized when I was 12, and then I was baptized again just four years ago. And when I got baptized four years ago, such an honor. My husband and my pastor baptized me in the river. And even though externally I made that commitment of faith, there was still something so wrong internally. And it wasn't that I I didn't believe in God. It was hard for me to trust in His goodness, which... I'm sure you can understand why. Oh, yes. So my relationship with God was kind of like, if you can imagine a little girl hanging on the side of the pool and daddy's there, right, you know, a couple feet ahead, you know, out in the shallow end saying, come on, come on, I'm not going to let you drown. That was kind of like my relationship with, with God. I saw him. I knew he was there, but I was scared to death to trust him. So I wouldn't let go of the edge of the pool. So rejection and trust are probably my biggest sore spots, my biggest wounds, my biggest sources of trigger. And so whenever I feel rejected and whatever the case may be, I will go into my closet and hide where I can control my environment, where, where I feel safe and where I don't have to rely on anybody but myself, which is what I've had to do most of my life. But I took God out of the equation when I would do that. So one of the things my husband has taught me was he has this acronym called T and it stands for thoughts, emotions, and actions. And it's basically thoughts create our emotions, which create our actions. And everything any of us feel, it all starts in our head. It all starts with our thoughts. And that's where the enemy will get you is in your thought process. And so that's where the enemy has held me captive. And I finally, I finally let go of the side of the pool and finally surrendered my entire being to God just probably about three months ago, really. So how did you do that? I mean, what, what does that look like? I don't even know how to explain it. It was just this rush of overwhelming peace. It was this rush of overwhelming I want more of him. I want to learn more of him. I need to, I need him in my life. My heart finally stopped hurting. It was like I was given the purest, most freshest, clean, tall glass of water. And I felt for the first time in my life that I could trust his goodness. I can't pinpoint the exact moment, 
but it was a moment I was in the closet. Oh, wow. About three months ago, something happened that triggered that rejection thought process. And so I ran up there and I was screaming. I was screaming out to God, please let me feel you. Please let me feel you. Just please let me feel you. That was the moment, my closet was the moment that I felt like I was, I died and rose again. It was the most beautiful moment in my closet. (laughs) You feel like it was like unconditional love that you were feeling? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just felt like embraced by him. That's awesome. I felt like I was sitting on his lap, like a little girl with her daddy. It was just, it was beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. All that to say, that kind of leads me to where I'm at in my life right now, where I'm starting to speak with my husband, sharing my testimony, and I am doing my blogging now where I'm hoping people will, you know, the readers will come alongside of me and we can help each other in this healing journey. And it's called Women Unveiled. And if I can just provide hope and healing to one person through sharing my story, then that's affirmation enough that I need to be doing this. Absolutely. And so it's been a pretty incredible journey. I wrote a blog one time about the breadcrumbs that God lays out before us. And we miss them because we have this expectation and this desire for God to just give us the whole loaf of bread. You know, we want our prayers answered. We want it to be in our time. We want to control it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while we're searching for all that, we're missing the breadcrumbs that he's laying out before us. And those breadcrumbs have been been laid out a lot lately for me. <laughs> and so I'm starting to be able to put all the pieces together as to the why that is now the what. And so it's been a pretty incredible journey full of heartache and rejection and sadness, but wonderful redemption and the ability to move into other people's hurts because of it and to glorify him. And as you find out that through your blog or through the conferences that you're helping other people heal, that has to come back to you as healing also. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's why I said we can heal together and because it is very healing and rewarding and affirmative that this is my purpose. You know, we all want purpose. And so this is mine. And I'm going to follow down that path and see where God's leading me because he's leading me somewhere, somewhere good. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're feeling the unconditional love from God, which I think is awesome, does that, is that helping you give yourself love? Yes. And, and helping your self-worth? Oh, for sure. For sure. So healing that as well. Yeah. You know, if I feel rejected and I'm, I'm at a place now where I can renew my mind a lot quicker and realize one, the person rejecting me has a story of their own, a lie they're buying into maybe their own security or jealousy or, you know, whatever, but it truly is their issue. And my worth and value doesn't come through whether or not they're rejecting me or not. My worth and value comes through Christ and Christ only. And so, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. Is there anything that you can think of that we haven't talked about that we should? Anything else you'd want to share? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, that that's pretty much it. Very rough outline of my life, but I think I'm on the big points and how your belief system and how it was formed 
really does play such a large impact on your life. And I, I think the way the human mind is created also is that you, know, you have your own story and then your mind is constantly looking for confirmation. So you're going to find it and whatever you're believing or focusing on, your mind is going to confirm that for you. Right. And, and that's kind of where you were talking about renewing of the mind where you can stop and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in this looping pattern again right. and I can back up and assess it from a different level. Yep. You know, exactly. That's wonderful. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your, your blog in case people want to find you? It's on Facebook and you can also find it on my husband's website, which is unleashed.men. I think about that. It's new. We just went live about a month ago, but there's a tab up there for his blogs and then my blogs, but the, my blogs only get posted, I think every Sunday. So it's like one like we'll pick one and it'll get posted. But on Facebook, I try to engage every day. I post something, it'll either be a pretty lengthy story or Bible verse or just a prayer or or something just to encourage people and where they're at. And what's your blog called? It's called Women, not Woman, Women Unveiled. And it's, it's just a place where I, my prayer is for, us to be able to lift those veils and come out from hiding and take those masks off, you know, because it's okay to be broken. And a lot of people don't think it is okay to be broken. Or if they are broken, then they, they need to get it fixed right now. So I just wanted people to know that it was okay to experience these feelings of rejection or loneliness or not good enough or whatever and help them know that they're not alone and help them to untangle the lies they're buying into. And just so we can just all walk this journey together. That's beautiful. So do you have any more conferences planned yet? So we went, it's about three weeks ago. We went to Virginia. That was our first one where I was actually called in as well. I have been with him before and he's brought me up to share tidbits of my testimony, but to actually be included in the actual speaking event, that was the first time. And that gave me such a spiritual high. It was so great. I loved every minute of it. But anyway, so we're hoping more doors like that will open. And we are going together to Kansas in October for um, a coming together conference. That's what, that's what we're calling it. The coming together conference for women and uh, men alike that, you know, men can understand their women better. Women can understand their men better. So we'll just see where God leads us with that. And we've been praying over that actually for about four years. And I started to get discouraged. I was like, why isn't God answering these prayers? You know, we've been down on our knees praying together is what our hearts desire and starting to realize that I needed to get out of the way of me in order for this to happen. And once I really started to be able to trust God, that's when things started happening. Wow. Right after that closet moment. So you mean trust his timing of things or? Trust his timing, trust his goodness, trust his love for me, trust his protection over me. Cause you know, Everything a child knows and understands about God knows of God usually comes from their earthly father. And since I didn't have one, I couldn't trust that kind of love for me. And so now I'm able to, and I'm embracing it and I'm allowing it to embrace me. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. 
you know, if you think about it in today's world, there are so many non-traditional families yeah. where the dad isn't around much or dad took off. So, I mean, that might be another avenue for you to explore too. Right. Right. Because you see, I mean, you don't have to watch the news or read the newspaper. It's all over social media. You see all the detriment that's happened in this world. And exactly. I think people want to, you know, point the blame on this or that. But if, if you really peel back the layers, I really think it starts in the home and a lot of these kids that are out there getting in trouble, they don't have a dad in the home to guide them. And so, yeah, that is definitely a goal of ours, of my husband and I's, because one of the things my husband always says is changed men change men. And that changed the fabric of a family for generations to come. It really does. Yeah. So we have a mission and we're, we're just letting God lead it. And it's in his perfect timing. And we're still in prayer about it, but we're seeing the door open. So that's exciting. Yeah. I hope God continues to bless your journey, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate you being with us today as an honor. And I appreciate you being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story. Well, thank you. I don't believe that stories are meant to be quiet because people heal from each other's stories. And so that's why I share mine. Amen to that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Maybe we'll be able to have you back in the future. That'd be great. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Stacy sharing her story helped you in some way. One of the biggest takeaways for me was being persistent in your pursuit of being able to feel God's unconditional love. We know it's already provided, but sometimes being able to feel it or even comprehend it is a different story for some of us. And another big takeaway was T, or your thoughts, emotions, and actions. We all know that our thoughts trigger our emotions, and our emotions can easily dictate our actions. So therefore, we have to change how we think and what we think of and what we focus on if we ever truly hope to have lasting change in our lives. Stacy's website and Facebook link for Women Unveiled will be in the show notes. As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that in mind, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.